Hey, it's me. It's Shaleen. This is The Shaleen Show. And I've taken a little bit of time off, but I really felt like it was important to check in with you and just let you know that I'm okay. And really, I wanted to do this really more for me even than for you. I hope you understand that. This is really important to me. I didn't realize how much my ability to talk to you really helps me to process things. And yeah, I've had a couple of weeks where I've really been struggling. So I'm here recording today. I want to be careful not to make any promises that I'm going to return to, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Brock and I have continued to produce episodes for Build Your Tribe. That is business related. It's for those of you who are trying to, you know, start a side hustle, create your own thing, find your purpose, and learn more about social media. You know, it's easy for me to record those because like on this show, on The Shaleen Show, I talk about my life and I talk about what I'm going through or what I've just been through or what I've experienced or my missteps, my successes. And I just try to use whatever's going on in my life as a catalyst to talk to those of you who have something similar or may have something similar in the future. And I want to help people. I want to help people to live happier, healthier lives. And when I'm going through something and I'm in the middle of it, I'm not going to pretend like I know how to help people when I'm trying to help myself. So I'm just saying that because I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue to record and talk about just like random things because it's so hard for me to not be completely transparent and really talk about what it is I'm going through. But if I'm going through it and I can't help people in the process because I'm trying to help myself, that kind of feels irresponsible. Nonetheless, I'm going to record today and we'll just take it day by day. And I'm thanking you in advance for your grace and your understanding and your patience through this process. I'm really honoring my mental health and my ability to heal, but I did want to check in with you and see how you're doing and let you know that, you know, I'm not okay, but I'm going to be okay. And that's okay. So let's do it. First of all, huge debt of gratitude. Big thank you to the pod squad. I've got a private Facebook group. You're invited to join it because you listen to The Shaleen Show. Make sure you're subscribed first. We'll just ask you a few questions to verify that you actually listen to the show. One of which is, how do you pronounce my name? It's Shaleen. It's not Shailene. It's not Charlene. It's Shalene. Anyways, the pod squad has been like, ugh, you guys have been a godsend to me. I cannot thank you enough because I wasn't going on Instagram. I wasn't going on Facebook. I wasn't even watching TikTok. I was just going inside this private Facebook group and your just being able to talk about the podcast, talk about, you know, and connect with you guys. Like I just have always felt this like deep, deep, deep connection to people who listen to podcasts. Like obviously, you know, you guys, so many of you, you know, like every inch of my life pretty much. And you've been here to support me and help me. And thank you for telling me the ways that I've helped you. Like the letters I get from people saying like, Shalene, those two weeks off, like, you know, my morning routine wasn't the same. Every day I would wake up and I have this like routine where I listen to you every single day and I just have felt off. And, you know, hearing from people that said, you've helped me through a divorce or you helped me through this very trying time in college or through an eating disorder or like just hearing those kinds of things or like you make me laugh or I feel like you're one of my girlfriends. And so I was hurting for you because you were hurting. Like, I just can't even tell you guys how much. I hope you hear this in my voice, how much that freaking meant to me. And I just was living off of th that interaction because I didn't have this. But 
The other thing that happened when I took a break from podcasting is it's a financial situation. We have sponsors who make this show possible. And our sponsors were so dope. I just said, I can't. I can't record. I can't do it. And we have contracts in place that, you know, we have to meet a certain number of downloads. And, you know, there's a lot riding on that. And there's people who are involved in the show. And we just reached out to our sponsors and said, listen, I need a mental break and I can't do it. And they were so amazing. In fact, Organifi, who's been such an incredible supporter for The Shaleen Show, not only did they say, don't worry about it, take whatever time you need. We are here and we support you and we love you. They sent me this huge bouquet of flowers. They sent me more green juice. They sent me more immunity, like the most amazing care package because they really are an incredible company and it just makes it so easy and natural and authentic for me to tell you like these guys are legit their products are legit they care about the Shaleen show they care about me they care about lifers and they care about your health that's why i recommend all of their products they stand behind them they're 100% organic for your nutritional needs and a wonderful way to support the Shaleen show for an incredible company is going to organifi.com forward slash Shaleen. You get 20% off your order. Again, it's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen for your 20% off. I love the green juice. That's what I've been living on like the last couple of weeks. But of course, immunity too. Like I have to protect my immune system and all of their products are fantastic. So whatever it is you're needing in terms of your nutrition, take a look. You will not be disappointed. You won't be disappointed in the quality, in the consistency, and the ingredients deliver on their promise. They do tons of clinical testing. You won't be disappointed. Again, it's Organifi.com forward slash Shaleen. And I just want to thank them today for being such true friends and true supporters of The Shaleen Show. Okay, so if you've missed a couple of episodes and feel a little out of the loop, let me just explain why I needed to take a break. Some of you know, my husband and I have been caring for my father-in-law, Bob, who has Alzheimer's, and we have done so since January. So it has been seven and a half months that he has been with us full-time. That really kind of turned our lives upside down. We loved having Bob here. He is amazing. Bob has my heart. We are best friends. And there's no way to sugarcoat it, though. It's really hard to care for a loved one who has Alzheimer's or dementia. It's hard to care for a loved one in general. I know many of you have reached out to me who are parents of a child with very demanding special needs or a sibling, even a spouse in some cases. And it's hard when it's family. It's hard when you know you need a break, but yet you love your loved one so much that you don't trust anyone else to care for them the way that you will. And you sacrifice your own health. You sacrifice vacations and going out to dinner and you sacrifice projects and things you'd like to do and hair appointments. And, you know, you, you make a lot of sacrifices, but you do so out of love. And I'm not like saying that we didn't love every single minute of it, but there is no denying that it was really hard on us and it was really hard on the business, obviously. But, you know, that's also why we have planned to be in a situation where we could do that. Financially, we could take a break from work. And I don't mean completely, but like just kind of let up on the pressure. So let's say if there were multiple meetings we had to have that day and it wasn't a good day for Bob, we could cancel a couple of meetings. We could decide not to take on new projects. And we did that. So we really slowed down 
our pace, to prioritize our time with him. And it wasn't just having Bob in our house that was difficult. It was the family dynamic. And so any of you who are dealing with this, and Brett has one sibling, and his mom is still alive, obviously, but it's just, it's hard to explain how it impacts everyone in the family. And I know this isn't just true for us because I've heard from so many of you, like you've shared with me, how it's splintered families or, you know, one sibling feels like they're doing all the work and the other sibling feels like it's just different. It's just very complicated. And family dynamics in general can either be peaceful or stressful. And there's kind of like nowhere in between. And it got really stressful and it got really hard when Brett's mom moved back here to Southern California. And for a period of time there, you know, that's an adjustment for Bob because Bob wants to see her every single day. And they just aren't, as you've heard us say, they really aren't good together. It wasn't healthy for Debbie at all, at all, at all, at all. And Bob didn't realize that it wasn't healthy for him. So we were constantly trying to manage that. And that was so much stress on Brett. And because we're codependent, I, you know, really felt like it was my responsibility to alleviate my husband's stress. It's just this weird dynamic and cycle and circle. And you become very sleep deprived because someone with Alzheimer's is very sleep deprived. So your sleep is disrupted and it's just hard. There's no way around it. Despite the fact that Bob is more independent than most for the stage that he's at cognitively. So his cognitive function is very, very low. But physically, he's able to do a lot of things. Like he still puts on his own shoes and gets dressed by himself, brushes his teeth. He can kind of shave. Sometimes that goes awry. But you know what I mean? Like he can do a lot of things on his own that others with his same level of cognitive ability can't do. So he's in a unique position. The stress started to really take a toll on us. And that was our agreement before we moved Bob in, that if it were to impact our relationship or our health, we would make other arrangements. And then it did. And then we still tried. And we still tried. And then, you know, Brett ended up with a case of stress-induced, basically, a sudden case of neuropathy in his lower body. And that was 10 weeks ago. And he's been trying to recover from that. He does have feeling in his legs, partial feeling in his legs. But there's also numbness still in his knees, in his saddle, and his ankles. And it's just weird. It's just hard for him to not be 100%. But he's approaching that like it's a full-time job. So then, in order to get, you know, to fix this neuropathy, he had to add on like two to three appointments per day. <laughs> well, at least two appointments a day on top of everything else that we were doing. And it's just a lot. We eventually decided that it was time for additional care for Bob. And we looked at a bunch of different facilities before finding one that we felt was just perfect. And the reason why we fell in love with this one is because of the way that they really focus on the cognition of the Alzheimer's patient, regardless of the stage that they're at. And this place in particular has so many different stages. So a lot of these facilities, if it's like a group home, for example, there's just a few people in there, right? Or five people maybe, or four people, and just wasn't right for Bob. Bob is a very social individual, but because he's so fit and active, many of the facilities that we looked at, like people, even though they might have been 
better cognitively than him. Physically, they weren't. They were like in wheelchairs. And I was like, this isn't right. And so we finally found a place that offered multiple levels or I guess you would say, yeah, like levels. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would call it for the different stages of Alzheimer's. And they group those people together. And their goal isn't to just like, you know, monitor them and keep them safe. Their goal is to like stimulate them. And I was really impressed with their activities, the staff, and how much time they spend keeping them active. Because so many of these places, you go there and they're just in their bedrooms all day. And they don't do this, do that at this facility. So he moved in and that happened just a few days after I had plastic surgery. My plastic surgery, I can't get into that story too much, but it was a horrific experience for a number of reasons. It was an experience that has changed the course of my life. And it's something that I just wasn't anticipating and never expected myself to be in this position, never expected the things to unfold that have unfolded since that surgery. And it was a really stressful, scary time for me. And at the same time, Bob is moving like literally within days is moving into this new facility. And we were told that it was really important that he create a strong attachment to the team there. And although it was going to be painful, they asked for our cooperation in trying to go at least two weeks without coming to see him and try not to call him. Talk about painful. You know, it felt kind of like worse than this almost, when we dropped our son off at college at Georgetown University in D.C. and then flew back to California. It was just like, it just felt like a piece of me had been cut out of my heart, like I couldn't breathe. And that's kind of how I felt with Bob, but, but almost worse, almost like when you drop your kid off at kindergarten the first time and they're just like, mom, no, and you're just crying. They're just crying and they don't understand, you know? And that's how it felt with Bob. Like we knew he understood the story that day, but there wasn't family to see him each and every day to explain to him that narrative. So the staff was really wonderful. They let me prepare this like 12 page document on everything they need to know about Bob, complete with pictures and instructions and timelines and all the details and the narrative, because the narrative is really, really key for anyone who has Alzheimer's. The narrative is key. If you don't have family members who understand that everyone has to stick with the same narrative and has to be the narrative that works for that patient, then you should keep those family members away. And we've had to do that. You know, if you have family members who are going to mess up the story, all that does is hurt the person who has Alzheimer's. So this staff was incredible. They all memorized the narrative and they stuck with that. And although we couldn't talk to him, I mean, we could. If we wanted to, we could, for sure. I'm not telling you that we weren't able to. It was just recommended that it was in his best interest. And so we just had to trust that they've done this with, you know, hundreds of people in the past. They're the experts. And we had to allow that process to play out. They were wonderful in updating us. And I could tell that the updates were authentic. You know what I mean? Like I could tell from the things that they were sharing in those updates that they weren't sugarcoating things. You know, they would say he was not happy in the morning. And I'm like, yep, that's about right. And they would share with us like the things that he was saying. And then they would tell us what they could say to him that finally calmed him down. And then they would share pictures and videos so that we knew that you know, that they were really doing a great job of keeping him super busy and active. And there's a bunch of 
men at his facility that are very similar to Bob in so many ways. Like they're athletes. There's like three guys and they're all former athletes and they all wear baseball caps and they all are like physically more, how do I say it? Physically, they're able to do more than the other people, even though cognitively they might be at the same level. So that was great to see him and see these pictures and see these videos. And it was just like, oh, yes, it made us happy. But we also knew because they were telling us that he was sad and he was struggling and that he wanted to know, you know, where was his wife? He wanted to know, where's my family? Are they coming to get me? And that was hard. So, you know, we're getting all that information. And meanwhile, I'm going through what I'm going through. And, you know, I can't share a lot with you about that at this juncture. I will tell you this, though. I feel called by God to be in this position as it relates to everything that happened with the plastic surgery and everything that I've learned and what I've learned about the laws and how the laws need to change. And they will change. They will change. I promise you that because I've promised some really important people that that will happen. And that's, you know, something I, (laughs) it's so ironic how you can have a plan in place and God's like, I don't think so. If you guys listen to me regularly, you probably remember it was, I don't know, like probably five or six weeks ago, I said in one of my Car Smart editions, one of the lifer updates, I'm like, yeah, and I might be doing a surgery. And I haven't decided yet if I'm going to talk about it. And I said that like in a lifer update because I really was not sure. I'm like, you know, is it anyone's business even? Like I'm going in for a C-section revision And I want to have my breast made smaller. Like, is that really anyone? Should I even talk about that? Like, you know what? It's probably no one else's business. I'm just going to do this. And I don't need anyone else like involved in my business or asking me questions or telling me I shouldn't be doing this or I should be doing that. You know, there's a lot of women who regularly reach out to me and love to tell me that, you know, how dare I call myself a health advocate if I'm doing plastic surgery. So I really did like, oh, maybe I won't even talk about it. And I thought that I'm like, you know what? I probably won't. And God was like, excuse me, it's not your plan, it's my plan, (laughs) you know what I mean? And sure enough, it was as anything that happens in my life that feels like there's a lesson to be learned or that can help other people, well, then I have to talk about it. And I did, and I wasn't anticipating the deluge of people to come out of the woodwork and share their own stories with me. I just was not expecting that. I wasn't expecting to hear from so many people from all around the country who have had maybe not exactly the same experience, but like really crazy experiences with their plastic surgery and had no recourse or later found out things about their surgeon that were never disclosed to them. And I don't want to make this podcast about the things that eventually I'm going to be able to talk about. But right now, I just want to say this. It's just really clear to me that the laws have to change. and. It's hard right now. So let me talk about my mental state. Taking the last couple of weeks off to cope with these things felt like the right thing to do. I couldn't even bring myself to record a podcast because I didn't even know what was up and what was down. So I'm hearing these stories from other people, their own plastic surgery stories that are literally so traumatic. I'm crying like three times a day. And I felt obligated to talk to these people and hear their stories. And each one was about an hour, you know? So I'm like probably hearing like three to four people per day and I'm hearing their stories and you don't want to rush someone through that, but it was really traumatic. And I felt like I was, 
I have to do this. I can't do any work calls. I can't do any work on our business. I can't take any webinars or any other podcast interviews. I just have to hear from these people. I need to listen to them. They need to be heard. Like they need to know they're not crazy. And I, I want to hear from them and I want to be there for them. And so I started doing that. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm realizing part of that was it was a distraction. It was a distraction from the pain I was feeling without Bob here in her house. And if I'm focused on someone else's trauma, then I didn't have to think about my own. I didn't have to think about how painful it was to think what Bob was going through. I didn't have to think about my own experience. And it became a distraction. But very quickly, I realized, man, I could not be a therapist. It just makes me so appreciate those of you who are. Those of you who are therapists, I don't know how you do what you do. Although I have learned, or heard anyways, that any really top-notch therapist, any really healthy therapist has their own therapist because you're literally being re-traumatized like day after day after day after day. And, you know, that builds up like scar tissue. And you got to do something with that. So I did find that I started really feeling like I was going to have a mental breakdown. Here's the other thing. So I have to sleep on my back at an angle because of the incision across my stomach. And of course, you have to sleep on your back because I'd had my breast revision. And so I slept in a spare bedroom. And that was weird. So I I felt separated from my husband. You know, I always sleep next to him. So I wasn't in the same bed with him. I felt distant from him because I had just like poured myself into these other women's and men's stories. And I was spending so much time like trying to help them and trying to be there for them. And and then if I wasn't doing that, then I was going to follow up doctor appointments and talking to other experts and, you know, getting lymphatic massages and trying to do hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments. And Brett's off doing his therapies for his neuropathy. And we weren't seeing each other like at all during the day. And when we were, I know my stress level was like through the freaking roof. And I'm so raw. Like I'm so, ugh, I don't want to cry. But I just felt so raw. And I was raw, like my body is swollen and I'm sad and I'm hearing these sad stories from people. And I'm sad because Bob's not with us. And I'm sad because my husband is, you know, not able to be in the same bed with me. And it was hard. And I think I've told you guys this before. I'm a really happy person. <laughs> I mean, 99.9% of the time, I'm a happy person. But I don't sugarcoat things. Like, I'm not going to lie. I don't pretend to be happy when I'm not. I just always am happy. But I wasn't. <laughs> I was really kind of scared. I was scared about my own healing. I was scared. I was confused, really confused. I, I'm still confused about how this could have happened. And I need you to know there's many things I have not disclosed to you because it's too personal. And maybe at some point I will, but there's many things you don't know. And I just kept going like, who am I really? Like, do I even know who I am that I allowed these things to happen? I'm a confident, strong woman who doesn't let people, I don't let people have their way with me. I never let people tell me what they're going to do or, you know, I just don't. I'm just not a pushover. That's how I've always thought of myself and I always stand up for myself. So how did I end up here? How did this happen? 
<sighs> why did I make the decisions that I made? Why did I go through with what I went through? Why did I not run when everything in my mind said to run and my fight or flight was saying, flee, fight, and I didn't do either of those things. I kind of decided to survive at least for like the first week, you know, after surgery. And then I guess I started turning down the volume on that voice that kept telling me like, oh, this is normal. It's just you. Don't make a fuss. You want everyone to like you. You know what I mean? Like, I kept hearing that voice, but my intuition and my fight voice started getting louder. And I kept turning that voice up. And, you know, I've talked to so many other women. If you don't have someone else to bounce your thoughts off of, if you're just having these conversations internally, it's a lot harder. I started bouncing these thoughts and ideas that I was having, like, this doesn't seem right, does it, off of friends. And I think that's why it's really important that we don't try to hide these things and we seek wise counsel. And I started doing that. And then, you know, when you hear people saying to you, like, what happened? And then you realize, like, oh, I'm not crazy. And that confirmation started allowing me to turn down that people pleaser, like, don't make a fuss, don't cause any waves. And I started turning up the volume on my, you know, the confidence side of me, the person who's like, no, this is wrong. And you need to fight for yourself. You need to advocate for yourself. And I want to talk more about that. You know, maybe, maybe we can do that on Friday because this is an experience that I've never had. <laughs> and it's weird that I feel like I've been through so much in my life, but this is one I never had and never thought that I would have. It's been an eye-opening experience for me. I'm going to have so much more empathy. Like I already have so much more empathy for people who in the past I probably have judged like, why didn't you run or why didn't you leave that situation or why didn't you do fill in the blank? And I just have a completely different perspective now. And I'm starting to understand that and understand how authority can do that to people. And it's giving me a whole understanding. I don't want to get too much into this right now because Again, I don't want to disclose too much or imply, make any implications, but I'm processing all of that and I'm forgiving myself. And in order to forgive myself, I have to understand how these things happened and how our brains work and understand that I've got to give myself some grace in that. And that's been a process that's taken me. I'm still in the middle of that. Okay. I'm just going to stop talking about that for a moment because if I say more, I could get myself in trouble and I don't want to get myself in trouble. There will come a time and a place, I'm sure, where I can be more specific. But for now, let me just say that I am more determined than ever and calmer about the whole process than I've ever been. I'm more determined than ever and more certain than ever that this is something God put in front of me for a reason, and I'm going to figure that out. But one thing I know for sure is that the laws have to change to protect patients. They just do. It doesn't make sense to me that if I sell you my home and someone has died in my home, like just someone died of natural causes in my home, I have to disclose that to you as the buyer. Why? 
I don't know, because you'd be creeped out. If I'm buying a used vehicle, I can look up the Carfax. I have the right to know if that vehicle has been in an accident, if it's been repaired. (laughs) Why do we protect consumers when they're buying a vehicle, but we're not protecting consumers when they're going under the knife? It makes no sense to me. I'm going to do something about it. We don't know what a doctor's true track record is. A doctor's track record is also something that you have to look at. How many surgeries have they done, right? Because certainly a surgeon who's done a ton of surgeries is going to have more complications. But I believe that should be our right to know those things, to make informed decisions when we are, we're really, you're placing your life in someone else's hands when they're doing surgery on you. And we have every right to make an informed decision. And if the information that we're given to make that informed decision is only a fraction of the information, or it's, it's only the absolute best information, the most polished and refined information, well, then we're being misled. And that has to change. And I hope that it will. But this difficult period, as many difficult periods in my life have taught me, but none more so than this one, is that when things get really hard, that's when it's most important to turn to your faith and turn to the people that love you. Galatians 6.9, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I don't know what the future holds for me, but I do know this. If I trust God, if I remember that God holds me in his hands and he wants my highest, I know that he has something good in store for me, and I want it, even if getting through it is hard, even if I feel strained and I question, like, why is this happening? What the heck is going on? I know that I'm doing good, and I know that God wants me to keep going. I know he wants me to keep pushing. Wanting to quit is a normal emotion. Breaking down and crying is normal. It's human. But it doesn't mean you need to stop. You just need to ask God to draw you closer to him, and you need to put your trust in him. And that's what I've done. So I took a little break, not just from podcasting, but really from social media too, and used that time to you know, read devotionals and just listen and be quiet and Especially in the last couple of days, you know, like I said, the first several weeks, I just was distracting myself and trying not to feel anything and just exposing myself to other people's traumas. And I don't know if that was the best thing, but I just started praying more in the last like five days. And I feel calm, even though there's so much uncertainty and so much I don't know what's going on. And there's things I can't tell you about that aren't fun to be going through, like a lot of things I can't tell you about right now. I just can't speak on them, but I hope that you hear my voice that I am feeling calm. Also, in the last three days, I've been able to see Bob. So we hit that two-week mark, and I talked to the folks where he's staying, and we made a plan for me to come in, and they said, let's just do a real quick one, just you at first. They just kind of thought that Well, first we did a phone call. We did the phone call, and that was myself and Brett, and that was at about the two-week mark. And it was, I'm not going to lie, it was freaking horrible. It was, oh, my God. Because he had gone two weeks without seeing any family. And the staff there is, like I said, they've been wonderful about maintaining the narrative, but he still wasn't seeing 
the person that he wants to see, and he wasn't seeing family who could reassure him why he wasn't seeing that person. And so he started beginning over, I guess, a couple of days before we were able to call, began thinking that, you know, this was something was up and that there was some kind of conspiracy and that he was being held there against his will and that there, you know, maybe something horrible was happening to his wife. You know, he started getting kind of delusional and very upset and very desperate. So by the time we got on the phone with him, he was inconsolable. And it was a horrific experience for both of us. For Brett to hear his father just crying inconsolably and saying, where is my family? Why isn't my family coming to get him? Was I just can't even tell you the pain that you feel. Like I wanted to throw up. I know Brett, it took everything in his power not to just go get in his car and go get him. But again, we have to work with the team of experts who we trust. If you don't trust them, that's another story. We trust these people and they've just been remarkable. So we were able to talk to them and they said, yeah, every single person's different, but this is really common. It's kind of the process. It's You know, so I hate to compare it to like other things, but it does also remind me of what a lot of parents are going through right now with their kid who's gone away to school. And it's very common for in those first couple of weeks, your child who seemed so independent and couldn't wait to get away from mom and dad and just wasn't that into you and they couldn't wait to go away to school. And now they're far, far away and they're begging you to come and get them and bring them home that they've made a mistake and they just want to be with you. and. If you do that, the likelihood of them ever going back to college is very low. It just is. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm not saying like there's a right way to handle any of these situations. You just have to look at them individually. And I think it really is helpful to know that this is the process, whether it's a kid going off to college or you making that transition for a loved one into the right care facility. And so they just told us like, this is super normal. What do you think? And so we share with them some of our ideas. And I said, I really felt like I need to see them the next day. And they said, yeah, let's do that. Let's make it a supervised visit. They gave us some suggestions, said, why don't you just Shaleen come in case Brett feels like more of an emotional trigger for Bob and we'll make it brief. We'll stick with the same narrative. You'll have a place that you need to go so that you're not like, because the longer you stay there, those first couple of visits, the more uncertain they're going to become. And so the first visit, went amazing. He was so happy to see me. And he just was like, oh, well, I knew something. You know, once I told him the story, he was like, I knew that's what it was. I just didn't know that's what it was. I'm just so happy to hear. And I said, so, you know, the story that we're telling him is that we're taking care of his wife and that her heart is in bad condition, which, you know, she had a heart attack many years ago, so it's not exactly a lie. It's an ethical, gracious thing to tell him that soothes his nerves. So I said, so so I need to go back to her. And he's like, yes, go, go, go. And I said, you know, she wants to someday be with you. And we can't have her in a stressful environment where she's having to cut the grass and take care of dogs and take care of a home. And and she picked this place out. And those things are kind of like all true. And I know they don't even have to be true, but it is kind of nice when you can say, this is kind of true. It just feels better to say it, especially if you're an honest person. So I'm able to say that to him. And 
with conviction to say to him, it is too stressful for the two of you to be in a home where you're paying bills and having to cut the grass and maintain a lawn and cook and clean. And all of that is done here for you. And this is a place that she picked out for you. And isn't it amazing? And we just want to make sure that you're here when she gets here. And he's like, absolutely. Yes, yes. And so then I went back the following day. And I think I went back one more time. And then Brett went with me. And that was, it was great. Like it was, we spent a couple of hours, like maybe an hour and a half, two hours at this last time. And we got to do an ice cream social with him. We got to go listen to a live vocalist and a accompanying pianist. We got to do a group discussion for the people that are kind of at, like at his level. And the discussion was about like culture, which is kind of funny. Just how cute this group is like one person will do all, like all the answering. It's kind of like the same thing when you were in school, right? There's like always that student who tries to answer every single question. Yes, of course, that was usually me unless it was math class. And then there's all the other residents who will just like repeat what they just heard because they see that that person got the answer right. It's so cute. And it was neat to see the people who he hangs with. It was. It's amazing to see these people who care for them. And oh my God, they're angels on earth. People who care for our family members in our absence, they're just angels on earth. And I'm trying to get myself a job there. I know. Like I've already arranged to be able to do crafts and I just love these people. And anyways, it just felt like the weight of the world was lifted from us. Like he was excited to show us things in his room which was funny because some of those things I'd brought like the day before. And he's like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? You know, even though I brought it, I shared some of that on my Instagram stories. That just made us, oh my gosh, for Brett, like, wow, he shifted because that phone call, that difficult phone call, he was just, and I don't think he'll mind me sharing this with you. I haven't seen my husband break down crying like that. He said, I don't think I'm going to feel this way even when he passes. Like, this is so painful because it feels so much like I need to do something, like I can do something and I don't know what to do. And it's just painful. I want to share that with you guys because you may have to go through this too. And I just looked into the eyes of the experts at this place and I said, how normal is this? And she just grabbed my hand. She said, this is it. This is so normal. And you guys are doing an amazing job and you know him better than anyone. And we're not going to tell you what you need to do and how you need to do it. We're going to offer suggestions, but like no one knows them better than you clearly. And I just appreciate that they have trust in us and we have trust in them. And, you know, even when we're there, they've said, you can take Bob to the more advanced. And by advanced, I mean people who have not declined. So it seems weird to say they're advanced because there's the advancement of the disease. And with the advancement of the disease, people decline. So they have given us permission to take him and help him to participate in some of the groups, because they're all kind of grouped according to their level of cognition and ability. And they said, you know, you can kind of take him into some of these more advanced groups where the people have a better cognition and just like see how he does in some of those groups, because their goal isn't to like babysit people or, you know, just like, make sure that they're safe. Their goal at this place is to make sure that they are cognitively being challenged and that they're being socialized and that they're finding purpose. Like they've allowed me to bring his cleaning supplies and brooms and his vacuum and they put him to work doing things because that's what he needs to do. Like he's working in the soup line. It's adorable. He's so cute. He said, you know, I gotta tell you, some of the people here are not that bright. <laughs> 
I'm like, I love Bobby. He's so funny. Anyways, I'm going to head over there shortly and see him again today. And I'm going to slowly continue decorating his room and getting to know the residents and understanding it all. Right now, it feels like the right thing. I feel a weight lifted. I know Brett does too. <sighs> so that's some really good news. I hope that that helps someone. You're still going to see lots of footage of Bob, I promise you. He just loves, like the girls at the place where he's staying. By the way, I guess I can say the place where he's staying. I think I probably should, but I don't know if I can. So I won't. But I will say this. We found this place because an organization called aplaceformom.org. And they have been phenomenal in listening to exactly what we were looking for, understanding our level of knowledge and care and concern and what it is specifically we wanted for Bob. And they took all of those things into consideration, gave us multiple places to go look at and kind of gave us a little bit about what we could expect of each one. And I have to say, they were a thousand percent spot on, like what they kind of said we could expect and then what we observed for on our own was very, very accurate. And I really thought that was awesome. So again, that's a place for mom.org. Okay. So to wrap this up, I just, I want to remind you that it is okay to not be okay. And it's also important to recognize that it's okay to feel a little helpless and also hopeful at the same time. I mean, I feel a little like that. Like I feel more hopeful today than I do feel helpless because I've got a voice and I've got a platform and I have God on my side and I'm determined and I feel the fuel in everything that I'm doing. I understand God's purpose. I might understand like how this is all going to play out or why me? I mean, why not me, right? I mean, what a gift that God thinks that I'm strong enough to handle a whole bunch of things at once. And I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that because, you know, if you don't have a bunch of low spots, how do you truly recognize and have gratitude for the high places? Like so much of my life is unbelievably, I say this all the time, I have a crazy, ridiculous, amazing, fun-filled life 90% of the time. Thankfully, it's not 100% of the time because if it were, I wouldn't know how good it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so grateful to God that he gives each of us trying times and we're able to prove to ourselves with a track record that's 100% that we're going to survive it and we're going to be okay. Like, my track record is 100%. So is yours. You're listening to this. You're alive. You're a fighter. You're a winner. You overcome. You succeed. You've been through it. And sometimes the only way to get over something is to get through it. And the getting through it part isn't the fun part. But if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be able to celebrate that moment when you do get through it. And I'm so excited to celebrate when I do get through this stuff with you guys. Um, I have to say thank you to every single person who's been a member of the community that has helped me together in these weeks that I've had to take off. And that is my pod squad. If you listen to The Shaleen Show or Build Your Tribe, you're invited to join this private Facebook group. It has recently grown to over 18,000 members, and that's where I've been going live. It's where I've felt the love, support, and just processing so much of this inside that private group. In order to join it, you'll be asked a couple of questions just to prove that you actually listen to the show. Just so you have a reminder, even though I say it at the beginning of every single freaking podcast, my name, I'm going to say this once and for all, is not Shay Lean. 
No, Shailene is someone, but it ain't me. My name is Shailene, like S-H-U-H, Sha, like as in huh, as in like Shailene Dion. Think about that, like Shailene Dion. Or I don't even know how to help people pronounce my name, but all I know is it is not Shay and it is not Shar. It is Sha, like shut the door, Shailene. Anyways, we're going to ask you that question. And if you get it right, then you'll be entered into the group. If you don't answer those questions, we don't let you in the group because, you know, we don't need any trolls. And I'm sure there's a few in there anyways. We try to find them and delete them. It's a cool group. I love you guys. I can't even tell you how grateful I am for this private community. It has kept me alive. It's kept me afloat. (sighs) I wasn't going on social media. The only thing I was looking at for the last two weeks is really your comments and your support and your love inside that group. So. To each and every one of you, I love you. To every person who took the time to write a review for the podcast, especially after those last couple of episodes, because they're pretty controversial, you know? It just means a lot. Some of those episodes, the ones I did on my plastic surgery, rose to the top 100 of all podcasts, which is like so hard to do. I mean, like, you know what I mean? There's some big, big, big podcasts out there, and that just meant that you were sharing it with other women, and that's how we get the word out. All right. Well, thanks for hanging around. Thanks for listening. I'm going to do my best to be back on Friday. I mean, this is how I process. And this is one form of therapy. I try to use many, and we'll talk a little bit about that hopefully on Friday too. But I just, I don't know. I can't thank you enough for being here for me. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon.